Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Forrester's CX Cast. This is Sam Stern, your co-host, joined, as always, by my co-host, Diana Laufer. Hi, everyone. And Victor, Roxy, thank you both for coming back for a second episode of CXCast. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're quite welcome. Um, a couple years ago, we were seeing a lot of companies saying we're going to have this CX strategy of delighting our Delight. customers, yes. right? Yes. Yes. And I think we're finding that that's not at all the right approach, right? No. Yeah, the, just one, one cautionary tale here, which is there's a lot of emotions. And one of the ambitions of companies is to personalize the capture of information from one human being and then deliver experiences on a personalized basis. So now I have to think of all those different emotions on a per-person basis. That's a lot of data. So the cautionary tale comes from big data, because when big data was put in place, it overwhelmed organizations. It drowned them, and it disallowed them to pull out insights. They were simply dealing with the minutia of, mm. of the world at big volume. And one aspect is to sort of get predictive in terms of what, to your point, Roxy, what emotions tend to matter most mm -hmm. and to be able to ensure that you're capturing that information, almost templatizing the capture to those emotions that matter most. So you avoid simply just capturing oh so many emotions from oh so many people because you will drown operationally. I think that's a really important point. I guess I would then question back to both of you is that template has to start with a hypothesis or mm -hmm. you know some exploration of which emotions yeah. link to loyalty, right? How, right? how do you do that sort of initial setup of, of that work Very in 30 much. seconds or less? 30 <laughs> seconds yeah. or less. I'm just kidding. You start with a battery of you yeah. know the most common types of emotion and feeling states are going to be elicited. I mean, part of this can be through journey mapping and even just understanding customers' ethnographic research. I mean, there's a lot of different techniques yeah. that you want to just sit there and say, in across all the phases of the customer life cycle, through different interaction types by channel, you know, the digital and non-digital, what is all elicited, have that battery, then collect some data for some time. I mean, we have to um, sort of get an understanding of what's going on and then do the analytic process steps to whittle down to what is then the core set. What are the emotions that you know have the strongest amplification, strongest weakening effects on KPIs that you are tracking? And then that's the sort of the streamlined list that then is embedded within all of your solicited tracking studies and also used as your taxonomy for analyzing unstructured data as well. And then that's how you sort of then create a scalable analysis of how you're performing in terms of eliciting mm. the right or wrong emotions. Yeah, and that's an important part of having an informed hypothesis going in. Just some of the research we did in the banking sector, we looked at some of the banks that are trying to capture this kind of information. And of the surveyed banks, this is at work we did with EFMA, 80% of the banks essentially effectively captured different forms of customer information to include sentiment and that type of thing. But only 33% actually could use the data. Hmm. You had this huge drop-off. The capture rate was actually quite good. Hmm. The use rate, yeah. you know, the ability to exploit that data hmm. and, and develop personas and actually go into much more of a data-driven design kind of mode was actually hard. And you can see the operational strain. So getting that informed hypothesis in place and then constantly testing it by what you said, Roxy, which is look at the KPIs, which mm -hmm. is I understand what are the input emotions, and now I also understand what's the result in business impact yeah. and making sure do, is that correlation in the hypothesis, do I need to refine it, do I need to change it, can I stay with it, that type of thing. It's really important just to make sure you don't have that big drop-off rate between I'm capturing it, but I don't know what to do with it. Yes, and that what you were just describing there, and, and Roxy, I was going to ask this question of you guys anyway after your answer, the idea that, okay, we develop this hypothesis, we test it, we start to lock in on which mm -hmm. emotions match to KPIs. 
but then how do we continue to monitor that relationship over time to see if perhaps we get better at taking a negative emotion out of an experience and suddenly that matters less? Or we are seeing the evolution of the experience we're delivering or customer expectations heighten, something changes yeah. so that a new emotion becomes important. How do we stay aware or alert to that kind of shift? Titration is key throughout the process. I think it becomes a decision within the organization. Do we do an annual titration exercise? Titration, titration. is a word I, <laughs> I use when I'm trying to sound like I know about science, but I'll own up to not knowing what titration yeah. <laughs> means, in, especially in this context. <laughs> All right. So um, Come down to our level, Roxy. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so basically, it's a recalibration exercise okay. that you would do on an annual basis, or it's a biannual basis, whatever works within the organization. A lot of times, companies will leverage the unsolicited data to see what's picking up are new terms being stated that weren't being stated before, as you said, Sam. You know, other types of elements using focus groups and things along those lines to sort of help to sort of see are there other elements that we need to take into account and then embed that into the data collection efforts and then start to see how do they link Mm. towards KPIs. Even if customers are mentioning these new emotion states, do they still influence the bottom line or is it just that's an emotion factor that is nice that they're experiencing because maybe it's a it's a good emotion but not something that really pushes the business and so that's the type of stuff that would need to be done and and we see variating levels of repetition on terms of those recalibration exercises and you mentioned somewhat the, the leadership the banks have shown here and it's interesting because there's different meanings to emotions for high net worth segments versus lower net worth segments and so trying to understand what the emotions mean on a persona basis or segment basis and understand which ones do I react to because it has the greatest contribution to my top and bottom line performance. Getting the whole end-to-end view so it's not strictly a question about emotion, but it's a question about my organized view of my customer base and my my ability to deliver those experiences in a data-driven manner, and then getting that feedback loop in on those segments to understand, am I really getting the kind of results I'm anticipating by evoking kind of emotions. And the second point is I think there's an emerging body of research that suggests that companies tend to migrate towards risk and they want to fix things. So if they see something negative occur, they, they plow their resources in that direction. But there's a body of research that suggests that actually your biggest bang for your buck is actually taking those people that are neutral or slightly positive into a greater positive state. They're more likely to spend and spend it quicker and, and more. So it is interesting to sort of look at how, to your point on calibration, how I start understanding the mathematics of all of this in terms of how it's, it's true contribution to the P&L. So looking forward a couple of years, what are your thoughts about how the role of emotion plays out? Are we going to see more companies adopting it and thinking about it? Are we going to see more tools for measuring emotion? I mean, what, what are some of the changes you anticipate? We're going to continue on this trajectory. I think more and more companies, I mean, the ones that I continue to talk to are now trying to figure out ways to train employees as to identifying when these emotions are being elicited. Like, what are the terms? What are the inflection points in in their tone of voice that are signals for different types of uh, decisions that need to be made as a result of it? I mean, you have companies like Mattersight and others that are building those tools to make it easier to do real-time. So I think what you're going to continue to see is more and more real-time tools that aid companies in the diagnosis of emotion and guide them into, well, what do you have to do as a result? And I think you're going to see 
a lot more in terms of coaching and training internally within the organization. I know, Sam, with the research that you do with the voice of the employee programs, I think that is a, a lot of that is shifting towards a theme of emotion and mm. how to cultivate that internally within the organization and then disseminate that out to customers. So I think that this is the beginning of a long-term attention towards the role of emotion. And as you look towards some of the, the new technologies coming into the play, which is sort of AI, you're going to start to see more, to your point, Roxy, real-time sensing of emotion and the real-time response to that. So I can actually look at different sensors from a physical sense and digital sense and have something in play that quickly responds to it so the human being doesn't have to participate in all right. of the responses. Mm -hmm. Second one is I think emotion has sort of lived within the, the, the academic and scientific community and now it's coming into the CX community. In two years, it's going to be at the C-suite. It's going to this this relationship between human being and PNL is is relatively obvious at a common sense level, and now it's going to be incredibly important from a growth perspective. And I think you're going to start to see this becoming much more of a C-level agenda going forward. Um, playing out the next few years, some of the capabilities you're describing, um, I think, have the potential to be tuned in a very what you know, looking at it at a broad level, society-wise, is a positive, right? We're anticipating people's needs. We're trying to evoke the emotions they want to feel or they they need to feel to make good decisions. And there's a minority report version of this, right, where we're using huh. our real-time scanning of the environment, scanning of people's faces, and you know, um, other sort of signals they're giving off that that signal their emotions to exploit them. And I wonder how you think this plays out in that respect. I mean, do we see legislation? Do we see, you know, sort of a, a bifurcation, two sets of companies, one's using emotions to exploit customers, others using emotions to um, enhance long-term loyalty with, with their knowledge of their customers? I think it will echo what we've seen in the data world. I mean, that there has been a consistent dialogue and debate about the use, capture and use of data. Yeah. And there's the majority opinion that it's good because it creates this value exchange. I give you data, I get value back. And there's the other opinion, which is creepy, and, and sometimes it's simply invasive. I think this will follow relatively the same track. I'm not smart enough to know the regulatory you know, things mm. that will go forward, but I do think it will follow the relative thing. What the coaching to the company is, this is a question of trust which is how transparent am I that I'm using this kind of information? Mm -hmm. And am I using this kind of information to deliver those experiences that deliver a value? Right. Or am I doing other things? And, and, and transparency in the relationship to trust is so important. We're learning this in the privacy and security world. And it's almost like the buildup of CX equity. You can place the emotion capture and delivery in that CX equity equation as well going forward. Thank you. One last question. For our listeners who want to know more about this research that we're doing, is there any place that you would point them where they could find out more? I would point them to Forrester. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Victor. F-O-R-R-E-S-T-E-R. -E yes, dot com. <laughs> Good point. Forrester.com. Yeah. Any maybe particular reports or collateral that would be especially helpful within Forrester? So obviously <laughs> the Customer Experience Index or CX Index, which is our framework approach to helping companies diagnose the quality of CX that they deliver, which one of those quality metrics is emotion. We do highlight our thinking um, and what we've been seeing in the data in our CX and Next benchmark reports that focus in the variety of different markets that we track this information, like the US, UK, France, Germany, China, and so forth. So those are areas where you can right now read that, and we're going to continue to produce more research that focuses on 
how emotion influences loyalty and what type of incremental revenue they could see as a result of it. Yeah, and other places, which as we mentioned, Anjali's research in the empowered customer. Right. That sort of state of the customer is really important to understand what really is taking place. What are the skill sets and what are the, the preferences and behaviors out there that are shaping the markets at this point in time? And, and there's an obvious sort of go as in the CX, but I'll add a piece that may be less obvious, which is the role of technology is going to be just so critical to do what Roxy said, which is to operate effectively in real time. So I don't know how many CIOs are listening in or people who are operating in the TM organization, but when you think of the role of machine learning and AI, it is inseparable from effectively delivering against emotion. Mm -hmm. So looking at that body research from Forrester as well can kind of make those connections that may not be so obvious at first blush, but become quite obvious when you start digging into how it would work. Great. Well, thank you both for coming back for a second episode of CXCast. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're quite welcome. Thanks for listening. Remember, your customer's perception is your customer experience reality.